Thank you, Devin. Well, this morning, uh, excuse me, uh, this morning is a great opportunity just to uh, be with God's people and to celebrate uh, His plans and His will for our life. Uh, also, this next week is also a week in which we can serve Him. Uh, just to share a qu- couple quick announcements. Um, number one, uh, thank you to Jim for uh, leading our, our worship through song. Uh, Allegra is in uh, the Midwest visiting her, her uh, sister, Michelle, who... Um, has chosen to take dialysis, and they're hoping that they, that might be able to sustain her life. Um, uh, but be praying for, for the family as they uh, face this most uh, difficult challenge in terms of a, a young person's life in, in the hands of, of uh, the doctors as well as the great physician as well. Uh, but also there's opportunities throughout this week. Uh, in your bulletin, there's a there's a invite card about our Easter services coming up real soon, and, and there are many more invite cards in the back as well. But each of us should be thinking, who can I pray for and then invite to uh, Easter celebrations uh, this coming year? We have a whole week of services that will be speaking into our own lives as we celebrate Palm Sunday next Sunday, and then there will be a communion service on the Wednesday of that week and a Good Friday service uh, in the, in the, at the noon hour on Friday. There will be a sunrise service. Uh, on Easter Sunday, uh, but then our, our two services that we're reaching out in our community, and we encourage you just to be praying for those as well. Uh, there are opportunities to, to minister. There's a craft day with a purpose, uh, helping uh, develop things for the uh, the Good Samaritan, uh, uh, the, the great uh, the uh, Samaritan's Purse projects, and you can be involved in that. And life groups uh, continue one more week, and then we take our uh, our our winter quarter break and then start in the spring uh, right after Easter uh, around April 10th for that. But I encourage you just to be with God's people and be involved in what uh, God is doing uh, in, uh, in our community. But today we continue our series in this book that we introduced last week. And before we do that, let's look to the Lord in prayer one more time. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word that speaks uh, truly and clearly into our lives. And Father, we pray as we look at faith, and as we desire to live out our faith, that you might show us uh, not only what to do, but how to do it, and then uh, might you empower us to do it as well. And we ask this in Christ's name, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of James, uh, James chapter 1. If you have a Bible, it's, it's toward the latter part of the New Testament. If you find the last book, Revelation, hang a left, go a few books, and before you get to Hebrews, you'll run into James. But this morning um, is a rather simple message, but I'm going to give you a a mini-message before the message, and sometimes I do that. But uh, the message title is uh, Getting uh, Getting It to Work. Now, uh, I guess one of the key words in that title, Getting It to Work, is what is the it? And and that could be illustrated in so many different ways. Have you ever had something that you were trying to get to work and it wouldn't work? Um, we We had a work day here yesterday. A number of people were able to come, and there was all kinds of... Hand tools and then tools that were empowered. Uh, I brought an edger that I was familiar with, but then uh, my, my son brought an edger that was slightly different than mine. And right before he handed it to me for me to use it, he said, well, you know how that works, don't you? And of course I said, of course I do, okay? And then I pushed every single button I could imagine. I couldn't get it to work because there was one little thing you had to do first. Uh, there are all kinds of times where you go through life and you're trying to get something to work. I remember one time I, I decided that I would, I would clean the engine of my car and I did all that kind of things, but somehow I got something wet and no matter how much I talked to that car, it would not start, all right? Because sometimes that which used to work no longer works. And now we live in the technological uh, era and if you have people younger than you, you're always turning to them to say, well, I can't get this to work. I can't get it to do what I want it to do. 
And sometimes with the computers, after you've messed with it too many times, they'll say you just simply have to reboot it. You've got, you got to start all over because you've messed up so much. That, they, that, that, that computer has to have a breath of fresh air before it's going to start working again. Uh, or if you use some old contraptions. I, I remember sometimes, and the only reason I work at things in my house, rather than, uh, at least as many things I can in my house before I call in somebody who knows what they're doing is because it costs you to call in somebody to do. But I remember working on um, garbage disposals. I don't know if you, anybody have ever worked on a garbage disposal. But, you know, sometimes they'll stop because you, you put in a fork there you shouldn't have put in it. Some kind of, you know, nailed it out and it's kind of got all the things there connected and you have to strip it. But if it wasn't a fork, maybe it was something simple, maybe that just kind of caused it to stop. But even when you get it un, uh, unjammed, it won't always work. And the reason it won't work is because there's a little red button underneath the garbage disposal. And what is that? It's a reset button. And if, if, you're, if, you're at, if you're at all honest, and we know the Bible tells us that we ought to be honest with each other, but let me submit this to you. You need to be also honest with yourself. Is this Christian life or this thing you've heard about the Christian life and you've tried it and somehow it's not working, sometimes you need to push the reset button because whatever you're, you're trying is not working, so let's try something different. Or let's start all over and get back to the basics. In many ways, that's what the book of James is all about. It's James writing to the, the, the first church, the church in the first century. And uh, as scholars look at that, they believe that's probably the first recorded letter to the churches that we have that we have the New Testament. And so it was one of the first things that people needed to hear to, to restart their engines as far as living out the Christian life. And you need to realize that the people then are just like us. They struggle with the same things we do. And when they were told to count it all joy, the reason they were told to count it all joy is because they what? They weren't counting it all joy, just like us. When we go through difficult times, that's not our first response. We have to push the reset button to do it the right way. It is that, that James desperately wanted people to not only have faith but to live it out. But the message before the message is for faith to work, you must know how it works. And I wanted to start at the very beginning before I got to the next step. Because sometimes we talk about faith like we have faith in faith, and that's going to make it work. There are many things people believe in, maybe even more fervently than we do, but that doesn't mean they're down, going down the right path as it relates to what God has for them. So let, let me make some simple truths or statements to begin as you think about getting it. Now the it is faith to work. Number one, you must believe in what is true. You must believe in what is true. You know, taking the analogy that we've began the service with, if you're working on something and you decide to pick up a tool that will not help you fix what is broken, I don't care how much faith you have in that tool, it will not what? It will not work. And, and so many people, millions of people, in fact, throughout this planet have a, probably a lot more faith than many of us, if not most of us here. I mean, they are totally all in, but they're believing in that which is not true. You know, Jesus said, a very familiar verse for all of us in John 14, I am the way, the, the truth, and the life. No one comes to Father but through me. 
So people can put their faith in God in general, and that will do them absolutely no good because if they're not believing in the true God, their faith is in the wrong person. So you must believe in what's true. Secondly, and this goes back now to the belief part, you must truly believe. Now, I know all of you, even if you're not in a small group, do all the Bible studies behind the lesson each week or behind the message notes. But I have a wrong reference in there. I have one reference, John chapter 3, and really it's John chapter 2. But let me turn to that. I want to illustrate why it's important to have not only belief in what is true, but have true belief. Because Jesus discovered some people who believed in him, but he didn't believe in their belief in him. John chapter 2, we have... The, the, this account right after Jesus does his first miracle. You remember his first miracle? Uh, his mom, Mary, wanted him to kind of help out a party she was throwing at a wedding and said, you need to turn this water into... How come all of you know that story? I don't understand that. But anyway, you know, Jesus turned the water into wine, and, and after he did that, people were rather impressed. You know, if, if, you, if you were able to do the miraculous and did the miraculous, people would start noticing you, Right? And some people start following you, and some people might even start believing you. And that's exactly what happened to Jesus. And you'd say, that's great. Jesus is starting to gather a crowd. But Jesus was more than just gathering a crowd. In John chapter 2, we have these words, verse 23. He says, now when he was in Jerusalem, this is Jesus. This is right after the miracle. At the Passover during that feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs, which he was doing. And you're thinking, well, that's good. They believed in him. No, it's not good because verse 24 says, but Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them. So you believe in me, but I'm not believing in you. you. You are believing, but I'm not believing in your belief because it's a, not a true belief. And because he did not need anyone to testify himself concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. They had a faith that was a false faith. It was not a true faith. They had a faith in, okay, you're doing a miracle. I'll follow you as long as you do a miracle for me. But as soon as you stop the miracles, I'm taken off. And that's exactly what happened. We, we, don't, we don't believe in Jesus because uh, he did miracles. We, do, we believe in Jesus because he is the creator of this universe. He is the, he's the one who, he's the savior of this, uh, uh, for this planet, for those who put their faith in him. And, and he's called us to believe him to the point that we follow him. We obey him. And if our faith is not an obedient faith, then we have to question whether that's a true faith. Not that we'll believe God, uh, obey God perfectly, but that's got to be the heart of our true faith. And then thirdly, you must believe the truth about what is supposed to happen. Now, I put that in there for this reason as well. You can believe in that which is true, the Lord Jesus Christ. You can truly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, you're following him and obeying him. But for your faith to work, if you believe, because you believe in the truth and you have a true belief, that things are going to work out just exactly as you want them to work out, then you're believing what is not true about the one who is true. And we talked a little about that last week, remember? We said, you know, there is that hidden thing within all of us where we say, well, if I really am following closely to Jesus then my life will be better than it would be if I was not following him. Now, that's true unless by better you mean I won't have any problems. There won't be any struggles in my life. Things will be, I'll be on easy street. Now, Jesus said you're going to be on a street, but it's a narrow street. And that street you're going to be on is the street in which there's going to be many tribulations. There will be many troubles in life. 
but you can be of good cheer because I'm going to always be with you. But he does not say, I'm going to eliminate that which is difficult in your life. But somehow, we, we, at times, we fall back into that. Well, if I, just, if I just did it right, this wouldn't have happened to me. Well, sometimes it's happened to you simply because you have done what is right. And God is now testing your faith to produce something in you that he would not be able to produce unless you went through it. Does that make sense? So for your faith to work, you must believe in what's true. You must have a true belief. And then thirdly, you must believe truly what will happen. In some ways, you'll have more difficulties if you become a Christ follower. Because you've now added things to your life that Jesus said is going to happen. You'll be ridiculed for your faith. You'll be persecuted for your faith. You will, you will have to stand up your faith and be unpopular. You'll have to take certain stands that will, that will cause you maybe to lose certain things, privileges that you would have had if you didn't take that stand. And so he wants you to understand following him does not mean it's going to be easy. Even if it's just simply eliminating some of the things you would normally do. Jesus said, if, you, if any man come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. You know, as a Christian, sometimes there are things I want to do, but I know that's not what God wants me to do, so I just don't, what? Do them. And that limits my freedom, but my limited freedom is so much better than if I went down my own path. Does that make sense? Yes. And I think we need to remind, we hit that reset button because we fall back on that. Am I, am I really believing a promise from God that's not a promise from God? And, and Christians do that all the time. In fact, there's a whole movement. It's called the health, wealth, and prosperity movement within the Christian world, where if you just believe well enough, you'll never get sick, you'll always prosper financially, and your life will always be pleasant. Well, that's just not what God has promised. Okay? Now, now James writes to this group of believers who are dispersed, and the reason they were dispersed is that not that they went on a vacation, they were thrust out because of persecution, and, and they were wondering, well, now how is this all supposed to work? Uh, and part of what he's writing to them is they're right in the midst of it and says, okay, uh, let me give you a message. Let's read back to the passage we're at and then get to new stuff. James, a bondservant of God, and we talked about him last week, that even though he knew Jesus from days growing up, he was in the family of Mary and Joseph, um, he didn't see, I'm a relative of Jesus. He didn't say, I'm the, the leader of the church in Acts. He said, I'm just a servant, just a servant of God. And of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. And then he just jumps into it immediately. He says, consider it all joy. And you're saying, that's awesome. But there's not a period there. There's a comma. And he identifies who he's talking to. He's talking about brethren, people who are of faith. And they say, well, what, 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 am, I, what am I supposed to be joyful about? And he says, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Wait a minute. I didn't sign up for that. I, I just want that joy that just is there, you know, just kind of spontaneous. He says, no, no. I want you to understand how you get joy. You get joy by going through things which forces you to trust me. And so count it all joy. My brother, when you encounter various trials, trials of all kinds, big ones, small ones, multitude of ones, uh, just realize that's going to happen. And then he says, what you ought to know, knowing that the testing of your faith produces something. And we talked about that last week. Joy is not the joy of the, of the pain you're going through, but the, the joy of what that pain will produce. And part of what it produces is what he first says here is endurance. 
your ability to hang in there when you don't want to hang in there. Uh, and and that's, that's an attribute we all, we all appreciate in people's lives, right? The, the ability that you can count on them. They're faithful. They hang, they're, they're, they're dependable. Well, how do people develop that? The, the people who are faithful, the people who have gone through things. And, and they, they have a track record. And so he says that only happens as your, your, as your life is sharpened by the things you go through. But even beyond that, and let endurance, patience, long-suffering have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so our lives only mature in, in, in character qualities that matter by going through the things that produce them. Well, that's where we were last week. But what, what stops us from saying, well, that's just preacher talk. You know, James was a preacher. You know, that... that that's something that's on a Hallmark card, but it's in the Bible. And so you ought, to just, you, ought to, you ought to look forward to whatever happens in your life because you can get a smile in your heart because of something that will be produced because of what you've gone through. But, you know, that's a little bit too positive for me. That just, that's just, that just doesn't make sense. That's just, that just not how I think when I'm in the midst of it. And, and so this morning what I, what I want to talk about in the, the new part of the message is, is this. Well, what do we need to be clear about, about how this is supposed to, to work? This is what is true, but how is it supposed to work? And so I want to ask three questions this morning. What do you want from God? What does God want from you? And, and how will God give it to you if you go down that path? Okay? What do we really want from God? I think we've all had that, heard that story of the, the genie in a bottle, Right? And if you rub the bottle just a certain way, what will pop out of that bottle? The genie. And he'll come to you and he'll say, I'll give you three wishes, right? Now, if you're like me, I say, how can I figure this out so when I don't waste those three wishes, I got, you know, I've got something left for it. I'd say my first wish is I want a thousand more wishes, right? Well, you, don't, you can't do that. And what God really does with um, a man in the Old Testament, he basically says, you got one wish. Now, to make it spiritual, you got one prayer request that I'm telling you I'm going to answer it exactly like you want me to answer it. It's really the kind of the question, what do you want from God? Now, if I were asked that in a vacuum, I'd have to think quite a bit. Now, what do I really want from God? You know, I'd be thinking of all these different things that, that might, you know, last or be really more special than something else. But Solomon, as we know the story, and if you don't know the story, I'm going to tell it briefly. It's found in 1 Kings 3. It's in your outline. We, we, we find out that, that Solomon answers that question very profoundly. He says, what I want is I want wisdom. And, and the backdrop of that is that he was in the midst of a challenging adventure that, quite frankly, he wasn't sure he was up to. And sometimes that happens in our life. I don't know. It might be an immediate. We have some in our church family are going to have surgery on cancer tomorrow. We've had three in our church family have lost loved ones within the last month. Um, we've had people who are losing jobs, and that's happened within the last month. I, we could paint the picture up here that say, I'm glad I'm not going through that. And, and you, could, you could say in any of those moments, what would you want? And, and I would answer that. Well, what would I, I want my sister to be alive. I want my, my mom to be alive. I want, I, want, I want a good job to provide for my family. Those are all honorable things. 
Solomon, it, 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 I want to I be able to handle this, this position of being a king. If there's anything about the, the, the debate, I don't care if it's the Republican debates or the Democrat debates, you're saying, I wouldn't want that job, right? <laughs> Who'd want to even go through the process of running for that job? Okay. And Solomon, you just heighten that. I mean, he was following David, and, and he had enemies surrounding him, just like Israel has always had enemies surrounding him. So I'm not up for this. And, and by comparison, if people are going to look at me like they look at David, they're going to say, what is this? Why would you leave us this to run our country? And so Solomon says, what I want from you is wisdom. And as James writes his letter to us and to them in that first century, he's, he's, he's pleading with them to ask from God that which is most important. Let me just read the passage in verse 5. He says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Now, we're going to look at a couple of verses beyond that, which just kind of just amplifies a couple of things about how God gives us what we ask for. But in that, he answers those three questions. What do you want from God? What does God want from you? And how will God give you what you really need and really want? What do we want from God? If we want what's really good for us, we want wisdom. We want wisdom. We want to be like the psalmist in Psalm 119.99 says this, I have more insight than all my teachers for your testimonies are my meditation. Uh, some, you know, I'm, I'm, I can be competitive at times. You know, or I can be like, I can be like, you know, I just want to really go for something. Okay, well, if you really go for something, you want to be the best at whatever you do, right? If you're in a competition, you don't want to, you don't want to lose, you want to, you want to win, or if, you want to, if you're in a class, you don't want to just barely get by. You want to really master the material, right? And what he's saying here, I want you to understand, if you're in a classroom setting, then maybe you're intimidated by the, the professors, and if you've ever been in situations where the, teach, the teachers almost want to do, we talked about a little bit last week, you're not sure they want you to pass the test. God always wants you to pass the test. But sometimes I've had you know, professors, I'm saying, I don't think they, they want us to pass. I mean, they're talking about, you know, I don't know if I said this in one of my small groups or here last week. I've been in classes where they say, okay, see the person on your left and see the person on your right and see the person in front of you and behind you. They're not going to be here at the end of the semester because most of you are going to fail. And it almost sounded like they were excited about it, right? <laughs> and, and what this says is, what, what is wisdom? I will have more insight than all of my teachers. That's what wisdom gives. Well, what is Wisdom. Well, you can find it this way. Wisdom is discerning what is true and right in life. It's sensible, not foolish. It's learning life lessons. It sees the good even when things are bad. And really, that's the context of this, this passage here. I mean, wisdom has so many facets to it. But a key thing about understanding the Bible is to understand its context. In James chapter 1, verse 5, before James 1, verse 5, there was James 1, verse 4 and 3 and 2. And, and what he's talking about here is, is I, I want to give you a clue as how you count it all joy when you encounter various trials. I mean, what, what, how, how is that possible? It's possible if your desire in life is wisdom, wise enough to understand 
from God's perspective, whatever you go through can be used for good. And you'll experience that good if you allow it to happen in your life. Romans 8.28, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. But for that to be lived out, you've got to let God's perspective, which is what wisdom is, Daniel say, God, I'm going to see good in this, even though what I see, it's, it's not in itself good, but you will use it for good. And you don't, that's not natural thinking, that's supernatural thinking. And, and so as we think about life, we need to realize that we need to respond to life God's way and then act on it. If you fight the trial you're going through, then you'll, you'll not see what God wants to do through it. But let me make this other thing about wisdom as well. Wisdom is not simply knowing what you ought to do or how you ought to respond. But wisdom is actually then responding that way or doing it. Remember in Matthew 7, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 7. It's Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 7, um, we really have, the, the, I guess, the other side of the story about Solomon. Solomon, if you're familiar with the story, I mean, he was the wisest man who ever lived, and God blessed him financially, uh, politically, socially. You could say romantically. He had more women than you could count, okay? But, but you also look at Solomon's life. He not only wrote much, of, uh, he wrote much of Proverbs, and you have him also writing Psalms. You also have him writing Ecclesiastes. And basically at the end of his life says, you know, as wise as I have been, I've been also very, very what? Foolish. Because wisdom is not simply knowing what you ought to do, it's in doing it. In Matthew chapter 7. Well, I gotta move. Okay, Matthew chapter 7. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the, the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against the house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house and it fell and great was its fall. I hope you get the insight there. This is at the end of his message. This is his application. And he says, okay, you've all heard my words. And who is the wisest preacher who ever preached? It's, it's not me. Okay, this is not a trick question. All right. It's, it's who? It's Jesus, right? And so all of them in earshot heard these wise words. So from that standpoint, they had received wisdom, correct? It wasn't a lack of information about what was wise. But he said, I want you to understand. You've all heard wisdom, but you're really, really only fully wise when you what? Act on it. Because I'm thinking, and when you think about this illustration, it makes sense. Now, if you were to ask 100 people, now, which house would be more stable? The, state, the one put on a rock or what one put on the, on the sand? How many people would choose the rock out of 100? 100, right? I mean, this is, this is no-brainer. I mean, 100 people would pick, put it on a rock. But how many people out of that 100 would, would, would build on a sand? Quite a few, right? Because for somehow they felt for them it would be the exception. I know, I know it's better here, but 
I don't know, I like this view better or, or you know, I can, you know, I can, maybe it's a little less expensive here. It's not in our place, but I mean, you know what I mean? They would somehow feel that they could get away with it. And that's why people who know better don't do better because they think they're going to be the exception. It's, it's knowing what to do and then doing it. And God is saying, that's what you need to do to begin life to experience joy in its, in its fullest sense is that when you go through difficult times, you believe that you're on the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can go through life from his life perspective, learning what is good even when things are not good, and say, God, you will use it for good, and the product of that will result in my joy because I depend more upon you. That's what God wants from you and from me. He wants us to want wisdom. Well, how does that happen? But if any of you lacks wisdom, we have to come to the point where we see we need wisdom. No one ever gets wisdom unless they believe they need it. The first step toward wisdom is humility. I need wisdom. Then secondly is finding the source of wisdom. And that's the next phrase in verse 5. Let him ask. Let him ask. So what does God want? He wants us to ask for help from him. That's how we get wisdom. And James, God calls us to ask for the wisdom to count on, on all joy when we encounter various trials. That's how he wants us to, to live. And in Matthew chapter 7, again, the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you know, ask and you'll receive. You know, knock and it'll be open. And, and, and those who seek it will find. And you can say the opposite. If you don't ask, if you don't seek, and you don't knock, you're not going to get it. And so we need to get God's help. We need to ask him for help when we go through difficult times. A life illustration of that is in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Remember the Apostle Paul? He had a great experience. And most times we get, um, we, we, we get joy out of great experiences. I, I get a lot of joy when I'm involved in doing things I really enjoy doing. I mean, that's just natural. Everyone's wired that way. You know, we just live down the street from or down the freeway from the happiest place on earth, which is what? Disneyland. People go there because they want to have fun, right? They don't go there because they want to be miserable. They go there because they're going to have fun or they want to watch other people have fun. You know, when you were young, you went there to Disneyland to have fun. Now when you have kids or you have grandkids, you go there to watch them have fun. You're, you're, just, you're just looking at see their eyes light up when they see all these characters go around. I mean, you're really getting fun out of them, right? You're not getting fun. You're having fun from them. Paul got transported up to heaven, comes back. It's such a great experience. You can't even express it in words. And let me tell you, that's, that probably had to be the most frustrating thing for a preacher. I mean, here he was, a talker by profession, got home, got home and he couldn't talk about it because he, he, couldn't, he couldn't describe it well enough. Okay, then it goes on and says, okay, uh, when I got back, God gave me a thorn in the flesh. And there's a great debate about what that thorn in the flesh is or was, but it doesn't really matter. Whatever it was, he didn't want it, right? Because he prays and asks God to get it, take it out of his life. In fact, he doesn't just ask once, but twice, but three times. And whether God audibly told him or whether he just learned from experience, when God, you ask for something it doesn't happen, at least for now, God has said what? No. He might say, just wait, and that's often what he says. But if you pray for something it doesn't happen, he said no. And we have to have the wisdom to, to accept that, that statement from God. But then we often, and it's all right to ask, well, God, can you give me the why? Now, the why is always this, if we can't figure out a specific why. The why is always, so you will depend more upon me. But sometimes he gives even more specific clues. And for the Apostle Paul, who was, who was pretty proficient at what he did throughout his life, 
even before he became a Christian, he was a, he was a better Jew than other Jews. I mean, he was the Pharisee of Pharisees. I mean, he was the top of the class. I mean, he always, he always performed. And if a person who always performs, after a while, that can get kind of, um, uh, you can kind of stroke your ego, right? If you always win, okay? And so God says, look, I, I give it to so that you might not exalt yourself, which simply says you're a little bit too prideful. And this thorn in the flesh is going to show you, you you're, not the, you're, not, you're not everything, all right? You're not in control of everything. And again, is that a good thing, to, that lesson to learn? You know, if you're, if you're so full of yourself, number one, you don't have other people. There's no room for other people to get in who close to you, right? You've you got to get rid of yourself to get close to somebody else. And that's true not only for those who have physical flesh on them. It's also with God. If you're too full of yourself, you will never know God, right? Does that make sense? And so he says, God gave that to buffet my body so that I, that I, that I, that I would not exalt myself. And then he said, this is what I learned. And this is why we need help, because we need God's help for us to come to this point. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10 says, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, none of those things were were good. None of those things were pleasant. But he said, when they do happen, and I'm not seeking them, but when they do happen, it reminds me that I am better when I'm weak than when I'm strong. So how do, how do we get it to work in the Christian life? We need to always go to God for that which is most important, which is wisdom. And wisdom is that, that part of our life where we learn to depend upon him more than ourselves. That's, that's, that's as much as anything else. We don't, we don't act foolishly, but we act sensibly, and we learn to see God's hand in everything. That's what real wisdom is. Secondly, it's come to the point where we realize that how we get this, we have to ask for it. When we don't ask for it, we live on our own strength. And then we wonder, well, how eager is God to give that to us? And he says this, or how will he give it? And let me just say it very simply. He will give it with generosity and without reproach, and he will give it with our submissive faith. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, one, that's exactly what he says. It says, verse 5, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Now, generously, we can all figure that out. If, if I want wisdom from God, he'll give me the, amount, the exact amount of wisdom I need. It's like, you remember when you used to get allowances? You know, if you got allowances, as, as, a, as a parent, you thought, I'm giving them just what they need, uh, you know. And as you were a kid, you think, I need more than I, you're giving me, right? And what, what he's saying, look, I, I'm going to give you not just a meager allowance. I'm going to give you a generous allowance. I'm not going to give you just a meager amount of wisdom. I'll give you all the wisdom you need. And without reproach, simply says, I, and, I, and you don't have to feel guilty for asking me because I want to give it to you. That's what it means without reproach. I'm not going to say, all right, how many times do you have to ask me? He's going to say, I want to give it to you because this is what is good for you. Unlike money, you can't indiscriminately give out money, but you can indiscriminately give out God's wisdom, and God's going to be that way. But he, but he also wants us, as we come to him, not, that's what his, he wants us to come with submissive faith. And that's what verses 6 to the end of the, 
of the passage, just 6, 7, and 8 is about. But he, that means us, must ask in faith, uh, with true faith, uh, without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. And that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So what does he mean that, that, that we ought to ask with, with faith and no doubt? Well, I don't think any of us are at that in its simplest way of understanding it. I mean, none of us have a perfect faith. There are times we pray things like, God, are you going to come through? Is this going to happen? What are you going to do? He's not talking about that. He's saying, when you ask for me that which you know I want to give you, be patient as you, as, you, as you have to live that out. Because God says that we'll be able to endure every trial, but sometimes we don't know when that trial is going to end, right? So don't give up on God before the trial is over. It's just a little bit longer. Remember traveling with your, your parents and you go on this trip and you have no, as a young person, you have no concept of time. Are we there yet? Have you ever had that? Are you, when are we going to get, are we there yet? And the reason you say that, because after a while as a child, you're thinking, we're never going to get there, right? We're never getting there. It's been, it's been 13 minutes. We're never going to get there. Whatever, whatever the time, it's been two hours, it's been a whole day, or it's been two days. When are we getting there? Now, if you have the capacity to give up on your parents, you'd get out of the car, right? And you would never get to the intended destination. God says, look at hang in there. Don't doubt or, or that... The answer, which is right around the corner, you'll be obeyed before you get there. And on the other part, what he's saying, as far as being double-minded, unstable on your ways, is that sometimes we don't like what God wants us to do. Sometimes we pray about something, and what we're doing is we're really trying to get permission to do what we want not, rather than what he wants. You ever been in that kind of conversation with God? God, I want to do this. Will you bless this? And God says, I don't want to do that. Well, yeah, but that's what I want to do. It could be, it could be a job God wants you to be faithful in. It could be a, a relationship God wants you to be faithful in. It could be the use of your gifts and talents in a certain way he wants to use them, and you want to do something else, and whatever it might be. And, and it don't, don't come. God is not our consultant, as someone has said. You know, he tells us what's true and right. We don't, well, I want a second opinion. You ever done that with God? I want to get a second opinion. No, he's the first opinion. There's no other opinion that matters. And when God says it plainly, then, then we need to follow his plan. So what's the point this morning? I hope I didn't complicate it. Is that, is that what God wants us to, to be is people who live out our faith. And to live out our faith means we're going to have to live it out when things aren't going right, when things are going wrong. And, and we realize that, that the, the joy is not found in the trial, but in what is resulting from the trial. But we go, well, how do I, how do, I, how do, I do that? Because it doesn't make sense to me at times. Well, come to me and I'll make sense of it. And then he says, not only will I come to make sense, but you need to need, realize you need to ask me so that it makes sense. This didn't, this is all off, isn't it? So it's, you need to come to me, ask me about it. And then you need to realize that I will give it to you generously, but you need to be submissive and don't doubt me. Believe that I will come through. And when that happens, then we experience that faith that's supposed to work in all kinds of life experiences. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that we might have a faith that works. And not that it will be easy, but that in the midst of life, 
we can trust that you will always come through. Help us to, to be a people that, that experience your joy and your wisdom as we confidently put our trust in you and we live out what we believe in, that which is true and that which works. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As we conclude this morning, why don't we stand?